Welcome to the Chop It Up Podcast, the show that's unfiltered and unapologetic. Each episode will bring you closer to finding your purpose. And for our loyal listeners, a special surprise awaits you at the end. Be sure to listen all the way through. Now, here's your host, Carmisha Superville. Hey, hey guys, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to the Chop It Up podcast. Super excited to have you guys back. I know we took a little hiatus. Y'all know a girl needed a rest. I needed rest, yes. But we are back with so much great content and a really great episode. This particular episode is going to be dynamic. We are really going to have an insightful conversation with someone I truly admire. I always say this, but this is my girl. This is my road dog. We actually met recently and she's so bomb. So I'm so happy to you know share her with you all and definitely provide her with a platform and guys listen we are going deep we are going to have real conversations so if you have any kids around this may be a good time to have them shuffle into the bedroom (laughs) okay (laughs) as i said welcome back to the chop it up podcast today we are speaking with none other than corinthia love benson She's a founder, she's a former collegiate basketball player, and a social entrepreneur. Corinthia, you ready to chop it up? I am ready to chop it up. You know, we've been waiting for this moment, so I'm so happy um, that, you know, I'm on this platform, able to share my journey, and hopefully inspire anyone listening, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. But before we get into it, all right, let's talk a little bit about your background. I kind of wanted you to introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, world. So my name's, again, great introduction. Thank you. Um, I'm from Harlem, the Harlem community. I was born and raised. Um, My mom um, raised three of my siblings on her own, um, had an absentee parent. My father, you know, was in and out of prison. Um, Dealing with that dysfunction early on in life was, you know, had its um, challenges, um, but I fell in love with basketball at the young age of 10 um, and was a part of so many programs growing up through my early childhood development from my grade school to preteen years. Um, I participated in Millbank, um, PAL, my first summer youth job, um, the Harbor for Boys and Girls, where I was able to have after school programs and have summer camps. Um, so, you know, my childhood was very enriching that way, where it definitely took the load off my mom as a parent and gave us, you know, safe spaces to grow and have um, good peer uh, relationships. Um, so after that, um, when I was 13, I participated in a specific program, um, which was Reach for the Stars um, scan at the time and was given a great opportunity to go to boarding school. Um, So I left home at 13 years old and made a drastic decision, a great decision um, to change my environment and receive a great education. And so I went from Harlem to Plymouth, New Hampshire, literally Plymouth Rock, like that, you know, (laughs) all the way up there north. Um, And it was a transformative experience. It has its challenges on me being 13 years old, the only, you know, black girl in my class, um, and having just, you know, a small amount of um, students of color in that white space. Um, It definitely has its challenges. And, you know, at that time, um, you know, I would say equity and inclusion initiatives were just a thing with getting um, students of color more comfortable um, being in that space. Um, So yes, it was transformative. I was able to be successful academically and athletically. 
where I then obtained a scholarship um, to University of Delaware. And I played there for four years. I majored in political science and government um, and was you know, dedicated to basketball. Um, my first year, we were really good. Um, we went to the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, we lost in the first round in Michigan State, but it was just a great experience to be in that um, arena, um, competing at the highest level. Um, and sophomore year, you know, we struggled a little bit. We had all our seniors um, leave, and we went from like 26 and 6 to 6 and 26. So it was a, a, a hard rebounding year. And um, I went from playing, you know, the two guard position to being a point guard. It was just a lot. Um, my sophomore year, was struggle. Junior year was better. Um, we went on to have a winning season, which was 15 and 15. We broke even. Then my senior year, we um, had a great season. We had a, a outstanding year where we bounced back and had 20 plus wins. So it was like a high and low and then, a, you know, trek back up the mountain to being a winning program. So it had its ups and downs. And, you know, those are the, you know, moments that definitely mold us with being a team player, staying focused, staying dedicated to the game. And so that was my college experience to sum it up. And then after college graduating, I returned back to Harlem where I um, have been working in healthcare for the past 10 years. I worked at Mount Sinai, um, you know, started entry level as a coordinator, uh, went from there to a business associate and then um, got an opportunity to work for their corporate office. Um, which was part of a huge initiative uh, facilitating hospital transfers and driving business to out, out, outpatient offices on different campuses. Um, so I got great experience there. That was my last six years of employment there. And I then transferred into, I resigned, and then I you know, started my company, um, my nonprofit, Renaissance Center of Mastery. It was just a point in my life where I wanted change. I, you know, early on wanted to pursue law, you know, defer from that and felt like, you know, I, I definitely wanted to help people and implement change in the community where I'm from. And it was kind of just like starting with the idea of why, you know, why is there not, you know, mental health access to young people um, in the community? Why is it a desert for that resource? And then um, the idea kind of evolved from there. And then again, tying in my early childhood experiences, you know, it's so important, um, you know, that we address a lot of the trauma and dysfunction that, you know, we're facing in our households, even outside of the household, internally, externally, and give young people a safe space to cope with a lot of the issues that they're going through, especially post-COVID. I mean, COVID amplified everything for everybody. And it's kind of like, you know, what is the call to action? And it is to really promote equity and access to mental health, you know, in my, in my space and niche um, to people who need it the most. So I've been on this journey for the past year and a half um, and COVID has given me the time to just plan, slow down, implement things, see how things are evolving. And now it's, you know, a push to, you know, raise funds, get our services out there. So again, um, it's been a labor of love, like everything that we're passionate about doing, right? Um, so I'm just happy to be talking about mental health, definitely looking to educate people more on mental health as we become more accepting of the service and, you know, drawing the stigma, driving that away, you know, and how we view it, so.
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. You know, and as you're, you're walking us through your career journey, I'm wondering, one, why did you have intention or would you have loved to explore uh, professional basketball at any time in your career? That's one question I have. And yeah. also, too, as a young person coming from the inner city and kind of being thrown into an entire new environment, how was that? Like, like it, I know you spoke about being in spaces that it's not of your own, but like you were still able to thrive. So can you speak a little bit about that? Because sometimes, you know, when you're coming from the inner city, you know, there's a saying that you can't take the hood out of, you know, of someone, but how was, how were you able to still thrive and elevate in your yeah. career? One, and of course, two, did you, did you want to pursue professional basketball further? Yeah. So, yeah. So as a young athlete, um, falling in love with basketball, definitely through my preteen years, it was like, I'm going to push to, you know, play at a high level. And if that opportunity opened up itself, I definitely would have um, pursued it. Um, and then at the time, you know, the WNBA was fairly new. So it was definitely a huge motivating factor um, being an athlete. I mean, I had the Cynthia Coopers, you know, I'm watching like Tina Thompson and Lisa Leslie early on. And like, you know, that's going to be me. Um, someday. So that was definitely, um, you know, at that time, my, my, my drive uh, was to play professionally. And that was my goal. So, you know, I was in Marcus Garvey, I was in the park, um, you know, practicing in the hallways, my dribbling skills, you know, playing in every tournament was, you know, that was it for me. Um, and that, again, gave me focus, you know, it kept me busy, it kept me focused and, and, and not giving into distractions in my environment. Um, but would I say, you know, going into that space, which, you know, beyond challenging, it really was now that I really reflect more about it. Um, I didn't have a mentor. So there wasn't someone who was before me who, you know, either was an alumni that, you know, had a connection to the school to help us kind of like go through this process and encourage us and um, provide us with resources um, and relate, you know, so I definitely had my times where I was homesick. I had times where I wanted to come home because I, I missed my friends. I missed my family. I was literally felt like a visitor. You know, I was going home just winter breaks and in the springtime and like even just the fall break was only three days, a long weekend. And then in the summer times, I'm trying to get on the AAU teams and, you know, travel here and there. So I'm really like on the go. So it was kind of like, you know, there was loneliness, right? Like, you know, there's no one really here on this journey with me. I'm kind of like figuring it out and I'm so young, you know, but I was um, determined essentially to um, reach, you know, my goals. Um, and I had struggles with that um, with, I would say just my confidence, especially my junior year, I wasn't heavily recruited. Um, and so being in New Hampshire was kind of a challenge with exposure to an extent. Um, and my AU summers didn't go as planned all the time. I didn't get the minutes I thought I deserved and what I you know, was hoping for. So I didn't get recruited until really late. Um, it was a tournament in Atlanta uh, my senior year and um, Delaware was you know, very interested. I played an amazing tournament and that was really the differentiator in my um, college pursuits. Um, so I went on a visit there 
And, you know, I just said, let me kind of take this opportunity. Um, I, it felt right just meeting the team and the coaching staff. They drove all the way up to New York to meet my family. Um, and, you know, it felt right. So, you know, all that came together um, and it all worked out. You know, all my doubts about where I'm going to end up after holding this, it kind of um, subsided my senior year, later, late in my senior year. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's hard being in those spaces um, as a woman um, of color. Um, but I was really true to myself. I didn't want to, you know, again, we talk about when you're in certain spaces, we have honest conversations about code switching. Do you feel like you have to act white? Do you feel like you have to change who you are, change your appearance to blend in? And I was me, you know, I had my braids. I was, you know, and I was, I was comfortable. I was confident in that um, part of myself um, and wanted to really, again, um, reach my basketball goals. That was still like my D1. That's if I don't do nothing else, <laughs> you yeah. know, that was it for me. So um, fortunate to have that dream come true and play yeah. at the University of Delaware. That's amazing and congrats to you. And just being able to sustain and, you know, not, not staying stuck. Cause I know you yeah. said that you, it didn't go as, pl as planned, but mm -hmm. when you were picked up, you know, you kept that momentum. So congrats on that. So Corinthia, I wanted us to talk about or segue into some of the conversations that's being had um, about women's bodies. I know we had extensive conversations offline and you're in a position now where you're guiding young people, right? As you're building your organization and all of these social issues is a part of our our structure currently so in the climate that we are living in so let's get real about the conversation and before we even get there I wanted I wanted from your perspective with the whole Brittany uh, Griner situation like what is your perspective on that because I know knowing now that you're you know you are a female um, in the female professional sports what is your take on that whole situation yeah in terms yeah yeah, so, you know, um, if people aren't aware, a lot of WNBA players, they play off-season across seas. A lot of them play in China, Turkey. Again, Brittany Griner plays, plays in the Russian League. It's definitely unfortunate, that situation that she's um, facing um, with the drugs, you know, their no-tolerance policy. Um, I think the timing of the Russian war, everything that's going on, um, and it's just unfortunate. I mean, she has lawyers, she has support. It's definitely now um, a, a hot topic with how that's going to be handled. And I, you know, from my last notion of, um, you know, news, uh, I believe she pled guilty and she's facing up to ten years in prison. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, wow, you know, here's a superstar that you know, you know, made a bad decision. You know, she's had having that those um, contents in her, on her belongings. And it's just, it's like, wow. Um, what is, what is that um, landscape look like for other players that travel, um, you know, to other countries and how, you know, how does that affect other players from the U.S. that play for Russia or travel out there? Will they not, you know, continue to do so? I mean, it's just a lot, depending on your emotional attachment um, to um, basketball, if you're a player out you know, playing overseas, um, how does that shape, you know, your decisions? Um, and 
I just hoping for the best, you know, and that she'll come home, that she'll be um, released. Well, you know, everyone is saying that if this was LeBron, right? And we know that even that uh, drastic comparison, but the reality is if this was LeBron, right? Um, mm -hmm she would not be there that long. You know, they would have done everything. United States would have done everything in their power to get him back. And, and we know that there are some actuality to that, you know, mm -hmm. so the conversation is being had about women's bodies. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wanted us to get real about that because it seems that we are still in a suffrage movement. Right. You know, a few years ago we spoke about, um, I forgot what league it was. I think it was um, the, uh, tennis league, if I'm not mistaken, one of one of those female leagues, but they were talking about uh, equal pay. You know, um, there's there's been a lot of conversations about um, the lack of funding for female led uh, professional sports. Right. And then we move out of sports and we go into the corporate sector and women are earning what 75 percent to the dollar of a man. Right. If I don't yeah. have the metrics correct. But I'm yeah. saying this to say it feels like we are still in that women's rights movement where we are still fighting to be heard, to yeah. be seen. And then we dissect that further and we talk about black women right and the um disparities that's there so i wanted us to get real and really have a conversation about what's happening right now with even the supreme court right with the decision to overturn roe versus wade now i must be honest I didn't know much about what was going on because you know, you're busy, you're not focusing with everything that's happening in the, yeah. in the political climate. But yeah. when I start listening to other speakers and researching and, and doing my own research, I was really baffled that here you have yet again, you have men, mostly men making decisions on women's bodies, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, I wanted us to get real. And if you care to share your um, personal story as why this decision by the Supreme Court is paramount and is detrimental to us women, if you care to share your story, this would be a great time because I think young girls, especially Corinthia, they need to hear your story. They need to understand that this is bigger than what we think it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's get it's into like it. like we went back 50 years, right? Like yes. we're talking about progress and there is no progress in sight with this decision. And I definitely, when I heard that Roe versus Wade was overturned, I immediately like reflected and I'm gonna be all in all honesty um, to my situation, my abortion at 18 years old. Um, and I was got pregnant on the summer um, before college and I was, devastated um, at the time, you know, being an athlete in the way my body was, I had irregular menstruals, you know, so, so you know, I was just kind of like not aware. And so once I realized, I kind of just knew like I'm eating and I'm sleeping a lot, like, okay, this, this is not, you know, and I feel a little nauseous. I felt some of those symptoms. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And I went and took a test and I was like, whoa, I'm pregnant. Like, there's no way that I can have this child and move forward in my career as an athlete. Like, you know, college is like, what am, this is it, you know? And so I 
you know, this wasn't the right time. It wasn't someone I was in a relationship with. And then I'm 18. I'm just too young. I'm not ready for this. And so having the ability to make that decision for my body at 18 and my future um, was everything. And so I'm just like, wow, you know, these people of this generation are not going to have that choice. Like, that's just, you know, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's, it's a violation of our rights as women. Um, and there's other statements out there that I, you know, want to address too. Um, I forget the name, um, but it was again, you know, more about statistics. And like, you know, like you said, we go through our lives and we have our autonomy and sometimes we're in a bubble and we hear sound bites of information. There's so much information, right? Yes. Um, and trying to filter that. Um, but it was definitely a statement about the percentages of abortions and, and by what culture or race um, has the majority. And it was a statement that, you know, 60% of abortions are performed by Caucasian women. And it was kind of just like, well, you know, what is the behind the story? You know, what is the intent behind that? And, um, you know, these states that have already acknowledged that it's illegal or they're in the process of that, how is that really the, 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 the harm that it's gonna do? Um, it's just, I can't even wrap my, my brain around it for women in other states that have to, you know, again, the unsafeness of the past of how women um, went to um, get abortions because it was illegal. We're back, we literally went back and we're in the, like, we went back 50 years. And so it's just like, um, you know, are we really aware of the harm that we're doing to women and the future of this country yeah. of having unwanted pregnancies, the mental health component with the women um, having a child or having to carry a child that she's not ready to have. There's a lot of um, rippling effects that are definitely detrimental to the person, the woman involved and her loved ones and the life that, you know, um, is in the balance with not being able to have that decision. You know, this is, you're absolutely terrible. right. And even for you, and I, I, I am so um, empathetic of what you went through, you know, at 18 years old and, you know, you being so strong to make that decision. Of course, you know, I, I know you would have consulted with your parents. So I empathize yeah. with you for that, you know, mm -hmm. um, even, even so, so what I wanted to say was this, right? This is such a tough conversation and ideology to really share because I am a Christian, right? And uh, a part of what we believe is certainly abstaining from sex. Now, do we always practice what we are raised to believe or whatever the case may be? Not all the time. I know in my growing up that I've always been very safe. I've always been paranoid, literally <laughs> with getting pregnant, right? Yeah. And thank God with me, I've had some great, you know, um, partners that just understand and really respect, you know, my boundaries. So that's that. But here's the thing. My, my thinking process is that this is detrimental because it's not, I, I understand curbing, right? I do understand trying to curb or control, you know, how many abortions some people may have, because, you know, researching this, 
I have seen and heard where you might have one woman that's having multiple abortion because some people really think that that is a contraceptive, you know, yeah, yeah right. That is control. not, that is not what that, the, you know, I get the right. abuse of the choice, right? And right. As a spirit and me being a Christianist as well. And, um, you know, I even reflect in that moment, I, 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 I felt a lot of sorrow. Um, even, you know, when I broke it to my mom, I felt like I disappointed her, you know, um, and again, not being responsible in that, in that space. And then even after that, you know, forgiving myself for, you know, that, that situation and then being responsible after that. So what I did was I got on birth control um, and I just said, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be responsible. I'm not going to have this situation. And again, using protection is another thing um, that, you know, again, is hit or miss. Sometimes you think because you're on birth control, then you don't use protection and the, you could still get pregnant. You know, it's a lot, again, with our anatomies and learning our bodies. And, you know, even um, later on in my long-term relationship, you know, preventing um, getting pregnant, you know, I downloaded my apps, I downloaded my ovulation apps, I tracked my cycle and, and said, you know, listen, I know when I'm ovulating, let's not go there, let's just wait, you know, and we'll, we'll get back on, you know, we could have some fun in a couple of days, but, you know, it's having that conversation and being comfortable with your partner and really planning um, and being responsible, essentially. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's every, like each case to its own, but I definitely agree that um, it is of a alert when you hear those kind of cases where it's being used as a form of contraception. Right, absolutely. And I feel like, yes, there should be some government involvement in terms of that, but it should not be where there are mandates and there is an ultimatum. Because the thing is, even as a Christian, we have to take ourselves out of the narrative, right? Because we cannot force our beliefs and our lifestyles on the entire population. Yeah. But I do believe, so I'm between a rock and a hard place in terms of this entire situation because it's like you can make a mandate a nationwide mandate such as that and I know it's down to the state to adhere to the law whatever the case may be but every situation and every woman is different and my whole thing is why make this so why make this solely on women and not the responsibility of the partner because it takes two to make a baby for the most part, right? We ain't talking about them other babies they be making these days, you know, in the lab. I'm talking about natural con um, conception. So yeah. my thing is like, why are we always being scrutinized for our bodies? Even if you go back to rape back in the days, 10 years ago, five years ago, let's say 10 years ago, women used to be scrutinized when yeah. they say, for example, you got raped in an alley and you have to go, you know, you have to call and, 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 and go in for that rape kit. The yeah. scrutiny that goes into that and the uncomfortability, the un, just the, 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 the gut feeling of literally being ripped apart like I have never experienced that, but you don't have to experience something to empathize with someone, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's my whole thing with this whole, you know, determination from the Supreme Court justice. It's like, where does it stop? 
And it's yeah. not going to stop anytime soon because we are in a we are such in a heavy political battle, right? It's, it seems like every other day that they're taking away our rights. So yeah. I wanted to ask you because you know you you're in a p- position where you are you know, enlightening young people and bringing light back to your community. So how do you stay informed? How do you keep your community encouraged with everything that's happening, especially in the climate today? How do you, how do you stay encouraged? Yeah, I think a lot of, uh, again, a lot of, um, a lot of it is um, giving people a voice, giving people an outlet. Um, A lot of times I would just say, you know, you're going through life. You're a lot of people internalize things that they're going through. Um, again, um, when I reflect on my decision at 18, um, there was again some grief and sorrow that followed that decision, um, and not even thinking that you know you should speak to a therapist. You should talk to somebody about this decision, how it made you feel, um, and how it's affecting you, um, even as you move forward. And you know, it's like a service that needs to be normalized, right? And I think um, women, especially, I, you know, if anyone who's listening, you know that when you go through that, you, you know, you sit with the nurse, they do ask you these questions, they do ask you why you're deciding, and then they kind of ask you again, are you sure, right? And so um, I think, again, it's a decision that us women um, and men, you know, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a two-way street. And again, every circumstance is so different, right? Um, we have laws that require spouses to be notified if you're a, if you're a wife, you know, to, to notify your husband that you're making this decision. But, you know, for us, um, you know, who maybe aren't married or are very young, um, sometimes we make these decisions without even informing the partner or the, the gentleman, the man involved. And so those are other issues I think that um, can add to some grief, um, again, some dysfunction in relationships um, that we could, again, um, be more preemptive and um, being open to heal and have conversations and be honest about our choices with the people that we, you know, we love or say we love or it affects um, in our household. So um, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area and that's why you know, the mental health piece for young people being exposed to that so early, it definitely prevents um, dysfunction and, you know, a lot of the pains and traumas to not, um, you know, snowball and and we create more um, dysfunctioning adults, right? You want to definitely prevent a lot of um, traumas and, you know, bad behaviors, essentially, um, whether it be substance abuse, you know, other things that young people are facing on the day to day. So it is about education. It is about health awareness. It is about loving ourselves. It is about forgiving ourselves um, for even decisions that we, you know, um, that we make and then we have to, um, you know, solve essentially. Um, So it's a lot. I mean, it's not easy. Life isn't easy. But again, the decisions we make matter. And um, I think, again, health education should be definitely a, a, a new, not a, a revived topic within schools and young people with sexuality. Um, and, you know, they're at this curious stage, you know. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it all ties together into the whole being of a person. Um, and we have to, again, have these conversations and educate young people in general. 
I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, you know, we are going to be working together because I love what you said about giving young people, providing platforms, um, listening, right? Listening to different voices, right? Yeah. Um, also funding for different programs, preventative programs, right? Yeah. And so it's such a beautiful thing to connect with you because we are working on an amazing youth summit this September, 2022. And yes. when I shared, when I shared the idea with you, you said, let's do it. It's so needed. Let's do it. Because, you know, as I'm thinking, and as I'm listening to you as a young woman, as a young person growing through life, right. And when you even spoke about kind of being taken out of your environment and put in an, an entirely different environment, but you were still able to thrive. How many of us, if given the opportunity in uh, communities of color, right. In situations that are tense, right? We are living in a world where, you know, we don't have access to certain things as pe uh, uh, persons of color, right? Of black and brown communities, right? And so if we are given opportunities and spaces to thrive, how much better we are, how much more educated we are, right? To make choices on our own, right? Yeah. And so I just want to thank you for joining me on this movement that we are organizing. And I kind of wanted to know from your perspective, why did you decide to be a part of this youth summit that's coming up? Well, again, it just, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's needed. Um, it's overdue. And it just, it, it aligns with our mission and values, um, everything that we're looking to implement in the community. And this is just not a one-time thing. You know, this is things that we need to do on a more consistent basis. Um, we need to know, you know, people in our communities need to know that we're here for them, that we're showing up, that we're fighting for them. Whether it's, whether it's sending emails for funding, whether it's knocking down doors and expanding our network to meet more people so that we can be a vessel to help them and move our communities forward. That is what it's about. I mean, if we don't do it, no one else gonna do it. That's the reality. So, you know, when we've met and how we kicked it off, it was just organic, right? We shared our stories, we shared our struggles as how, you know, we're in business and wanting to thrive and move forward. And we were honest with each other and we said, hey, I need, I need this for my business. And you say, hey, well, I need this for my business. Oh, let's add value to each other. It's a no brainer. Um, we both are high performance and believe what we're doing. We're passionate about what we're doing. And that is what, that's, that's, that's it. That's the bond that, you know, again, has impact when we come together and we put our minds and our creative juices and our thoughts and we flow. I mean, I'm looking forward to the summit that you're coordinating um, and I'm happy that you thought of me. Um, you Absolutely. Know, and it's just collaboration over collaboration. competition. Yeah, we can't do it by ourselves. This is not a unilateral approach on any front. I mean, when it comes to businesses and um, trying to scale impact, we have to look to, um, you know, look at other companies and businesses and say, hey, this person has something that adds value. And then, wow, they don't have this, but I can add value in this space. And that is exactly what we, we just discussed about the summit and doing so. I'm just looking forward to my my part, doing my part and helping, you know, the people involved. 
Absolutely. You know, what's so crazy, even as preparing for this episode, I was watching something on IG Instagram this morning, and it so happened to be a clip where Jay-Z, you know, was talking with an interview and they were just chopping it up about kind of ownership. And what does a 100% ownership really mean? And I love what Jay said. He said that you walk around saying 100% ownership, ownership of what? What do you have ownership of? He yeah. spoke about it in relation to his um his wine, right? He has a liquor brand. I think his Ace of, Ace of Spade, I believe. Okay, yeah, but he was, yeah, he was speaking about it because he said for him, ownership meant partnering with a legacy company, right? Like LVH um, yeah. and partnering with a legacy company that's been around for centuries. And even though given up 50% of your ownership, right? But in order to partner, in order to have momentum, right? Yeah. And I love that. And it was, it was such a great conversation that we know, like you just said, when you're like-minded, but we need to do so much more of that work. And we gotta be so intentional with that work, especially as women. Yes. Especially as women. And of course, we do need our men allies, right? Because there are some great men, because I would not be who I am and you would not be who you are if you didn't have a male advocate for you in spaces, in places that you're not in, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. we do need our men allies to come to the forefront and say, no, this isn't right. Let me, let me see what I can do. Let me reinvest. Let me fund programs that can help you elevate right and so for us for me and having you be a part of this youth summit it is of the essence that we do it yes. young people need to hear women like you and I young yes. people need to understand that there are missions that there are people that are fighting for your rights and fighting for your stance so yes. I thank you for being a part of this. And as we wrap up this amazing real conversation, what are some tips that you can provide or maybe from your organization perspective, what are some things that you guys are working on activities, initiatives that you're working on that you'd like to inform us of? Well, yes. I mean, it all starts with a conversation. I've met a wonderful woman, um, Equasia, who um, um, runs a small nonprofit in Brooklyn, and she caters to um, women of, that are formerly incarcerated and provide services. And um, again, a beautiful soul and is allowing me to um, present to her organization, to her girls that she's servicing and having just a conversation about mental health, presenting um, what my organization um, mission is and values. And again, um, collaboration, right? Um, and so on the other side, like you were saying, partnering, you know, having conversations with other organizations in the community, um, and seeing strategically how we can work together. And I, I recently had a conversation with Osborne, New York, and um, fostering a relationship with them. And they're, um, again, a huge nonprofit um, that services um, formerly incarcerated families and individuals and offers um, great career development programs. I mean, they've been doing it for over 40 years. And so, you know, when you talk about elevating your mission and elevating your impact, you collaboration is key, partnerships are key. Again, on the business side, it definitely has to make sense, but you have to put yourself out there um, to know what your possibilities are. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. Again, our connection has been great and looking forward to just presenting um, and doing more community outreach 
um, to touch the young people and hear them, hear their voices, hear their feedback, hear how they feel about the programs we want to offer, hear their thoughts upon mental health, see how, see how embedded the stigma is, you know, and I want to have that conversation and get their feedback um, because we need to hear from them. You know, they are our future and they're the investment. Absolutely. You know, Corinthia, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. I don't want to have you leave, but I know seriously, I love talking to you. And you know what's so funny? I what? said that you're a motivational speaker, and you was like, nah, I'm not a motivational <laughs> speaker. Don't give me that title. But no, let me tell you. <laughs> no, let me tell you. There are uh -huh. certain people you have in your life that just speaks value, right? That yeah. speaks word of encouragement. And let me tell you, I spoke to you last week. You don't even know. I spoke to you in the park. I was with my niece and nephews and you just inspired me. You just, you just said, you're one of those people that you can call and you just get it. You don't have to water it down. You don't mm -hmm. have to like, you know, you don't have to do none of that. You just get mm -hmm. it. And, and I appreciate that. And we need people like you, especially in, in today's world. So, mm -hmm. I want you to give us some tips, maybe like three tips, right? As we close out this amazing conversation, give us right. some tips of how to stay focused. You have, you, you have done it so well uh, through the trajectory of your journey, your career journey and professional journey, how to stay focused, how, yeah. how to stay focused. Give us some tips on that. Okay. So like, you know, again, life, you know, you go through phases and you, you know, a lot of times when you're taking on endeavors and the size of the endeavor and what you're setting out to do, you have to kind of go inward. And so what I, you know, part of my journey in the last, you know, 16 months of, was learning what type of leader I want to be. You know, you got to be a listener. You got to be an ex excellent communicator and you got to empower people. You can't talk at people. It's not about, oh, I'm a boss. I'm an ED and throw your title around. That's not going to get people involved. That's not going to get people to buy in and help and, and go that extra mile for you. And so my whole thing is really, again, getting like-minded people involved, um, taking your time. Um, it's not going to happen over one conversation. It's not an overnight process. It is real relationship building, and it's about trust. And that's one thing you're you're going to go as far as people can trust you. And so that goes that ties back into, again, the work, putting in the work, putting in the hours, putting in the research, putting in the phone calls, putting in the time. And that's one thing I would say for anyone who is setting on in you know, their purpose and any endeavor, you have to allocate time, um, do some work within you and, um, you know, and you're going to grow. Again, um, it's not about ego. It is about listening. Um, you're going to get criticized. You're going to get told this was, this is better. And having an open ear. I mean, I did, when I started, I had a, a vision, a kind of one track mind about how RCM was going to go. And I'm planning and I know this and I did this and I, and then when I'm speaking to professionals and I'm speaking to people who've actually done the work and, and, um, ran programs for 10 years. It's like, okay, you don't have all the answers. This is going to have to go out the door. You need to listen to this person and you got to be open and nimble to accept guidance. And so I think that is again, a part of being focused, but being open in the same space, um, to get to your goal because you need it. You need all the help you can get in all honesty. Um, so I just would say, get the right people involved, take the time to build the relationship so you know these are the right people that are going to be Absolutely. on this journey with you. And then, you know, you see how things come into fruition. Again, I'm spiritually, 
inclined and I pray and I ask God for guidance. I ask God for wisdom. I ask God for patience. I ask God for a lot of things. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I know me, right? But yeah, knowing yourself and I'm um, trusting yourself and knowing that it's going to happen. But like I said, you know, it's about milestones. I feel like this summit is going to be an amazing milestone and breakthrough for our community. So I commend you for just putting it together and pushing it. Um, and we're going to, again, be, you, this is the, hey world, this is me and Carmen. You're going to see a lot more of us because we, we're down right. to collaborate. I, I, you know, she's, you've done amazing events. And every time I see you, you're posting on the, you know, you always on my feet. Like I said, you right. give it to us. And I'm just like, wow, I can't wait for you to do my fundraiser. I can't wait for you to do this community event. So I'm just looking forward to our long-term business and friendship. And that's what it's mm -hmm. about. Um, empowering each other and, you know, doing, doing good work. So. Absolutely. Likewise. Likewise. Girl, I appreciate you so much. Thank yeah. you so much for chopping it up with Thank me, with us. For having me. It's been, yeah. you know, real like it always is. So I'm just looking forward to our next conversation about this summit. So we got some work to do. We got some work to do, man. Thank you. Yes. All right, you guys. So thank you so much for listening to the Chop It Up podcast. You already know the vibes. Like, please like, subscribe, and share. Guys, in order to grow this amazing platform, you have to share with your people. You got to let people know what they are missing. So like and share. And of course, we have an amazing summer giveaway. We want to thank Blink Fitness. They are offering two lucky listeners. Listen to me. Two lucky listeners with the opportunity of a full year membership at any of their gyms, which is over 200 plus locations. Blink Fitness is offering you, okay, a full year membership. So you're going to get your mind right and you're going to get your body right. And somebody told me it's summer. So you already know. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. And if you're interested in that giveaway, send us a voice note on email on any of our social platforms and we'll provide you more information on that. It's been an honor speaking to you, Corinthia. Corinthia Love Benson founder is superville emphasis on a super hey. <laughs> listen it's been a pleasure man listen yeah. founder social entrepreneur we in this together i wish you many many more success as you do the same for me yes. and we're gonna see you on the next chop it up yes. bye, bye.